0: Or listening to Not Many of You Should Become Teachers, a podcast that explores the world of K-12 education as it intersects with the Christian faith. You might call us extreme moderates. We're skeptics who try not to be cynics and are allergic to cheap rhetoric. Welcome to the show. Well, hello from a sunny Tuesday afternoon just finished up an afternoon of teaching uh, with a former student in the room who's joined me for the past uh, number of weeks I think it's been a couple months now or so since the be since the beginning of the semester uh, former student here Amy Bugelink who's uh, gonna t- tell us a little bit, bit about uh, what she's up to uh, why she's in my classroom and wearing a, a visitor tag um, even though it was a student here so uh, Amy welcome to the podcast
1: thanks for having me
0: Amy, you're sitting here in the classroom that you were a student in a number of years ago now, and uh, what have been the biggest changes maybe in your own life and uh, stuff you've seen around here since you've been a student?
1: Um, One big thing that struck me going into university was the community aspect. I partly chose, like I go to U of out in Abbotsford, and I chose that partly just because of the smaller class sizes and thinking it would be a little bit more of a community-based, because thinking of going to SFU or something where there's 500 students in a lecture, that just seemed so daunting to me coming from a Christian school where it's all really small. Um, but even there, you're still kind of a one in like a big sea of people. So that was really different, kind of losing the community aspect. Um, I don't know, you get more independent. In school, you think, as a teenager, you think you're super independent, but kind of going out of school and getting to choose your own schedule, what courses you want to take and everything, there's just a lot of independence in that. And actually having to work to support yourself to go through that is another big difference.
0: Yeah, actually, it was just... Uh, like literally 20 minutes ago, we had a whole room full of uh, teenagers, grade 12 IB students. And uh, when you saw that, you mentioned about sort of growth of independence and getting to choose uh, your, you know, choose your path a little bit more. Uh, when you think of your own transition from here, you mentioned a little bit about the community and that aspect. Um, are the things that you felt sort of well prepared for out of out of our school community, or when just maybe describe that transition uh, into post secondary?
1: It was different for sure, but I've definitely found being an IB student for grade eleven and twelve made the transition a lot easier. Just because the teaching style is very similar, so that aspect of it was it just made it really smooth, and I wasn't kind of drowning in a whole bunch of work whereas compared to a lot of my other friends it was a huge jump for them the reading is crazy in university so different I don't know in high school you can it's terrible you can somewhat get away with not doing as much reading (laughs) but in university it's a lot of like you do the reading and then you're kind of talking about almost these bigger picture they're not necessarily teaching to what you've read so that's kind of different but overall besides like the community change I found the transition pretty smooth and I think IB definitely credits to that.
0: Now we've had some conversations because you've been observing for uh, a little while but I know one of the transition parts is uh, you've, you've retained you know a, a fair number of your your peer group, your friend group from uh, the, your K to 12 Christian school could you tell us a little bit about about that of just maybe that that's actually a continuity part, right? You've had lots of change, but that's been a continuity part.
1: Yeah, it's kind of funny. A lot of people there's a there was a group of about 10-11 girls that I've continued to stay fairly close with and we hang out on a regular basis. And I think definitely just being part of a Christian community and growing up with girls who have the same belief as you really kind of attributes that friendship. Um, I don't know, I lost a lot of friends through the years and I think part of that too is just not having that as a base, like you will be in a Christian school, but not everyone's a Christian. You realize that very quickly that they're here for different reasons. So it was really cool just to grow with that group of girls. And even after high school, just like making that effort to stay connected, even though a couple of people started going to school in different places and now they're back. But I don't know, that was just something that was really cool. And even now we're still doing like Bible studies together or would we'll go to church together on like Thursday nights. And that's really cool.
0: That was very cool. Um, so you you know the our, the focus of our podcast is on spiritual formation and growth, uh, also looking at faith and learning. So particularly with um, with schooling, and uh, so I'm just I'm interested with you being an alum of our school. Uh, can you th- could you think of uh, an event or a, a time? Maybe there was a defining spiritual conversation. Maybe it was you know maybe it was a lesson from a teacher. I know so many things that happen in a school are not what teachers plan or things that happen in a in a school are not it's not like written down in the lesson plan. So um are is there one or two defining uh moments from from your time here?
1: I had one particular teacher for grade 9 and 10 Bible class and at the beginning of both years he started off with saying he closed both doors and said You guys i don't care what your religious beliefs are i know some of you are here because your family wants you to be here or they just want you here for the education you're not necessarily here for your beliefs so this is going to be like a safe space where you can say kind of whatever you want and we have to be respectful of each other and not come after each other and that just set up both years like such a safe place and we had some really good conversations Even the teacher went through some hard stuff and he talked to us about it one class and it was so serious, but we were able to all just like come together. And I think we even prayed for him in that moment too, but just being able to have those tough conversations, but still understand that not everyone's coming from the same place. And he kind of met us where we're at. And I think he even attributed it to like, God meets us where we're at. And that's even something that's been preached to me multiple times since leaving school and it's just something really awesome to think about especially when you coming out of high school and out of the christian bubble you kind of have to you really have to think about like is this something you truly believe and it really tests your faith and i found that i've grown like closer to god in some points and other times drifted away but always kind of remembering like god meets me where i'm at and that's been really awesome another moment that stands out to me is Um, I got to go on a missions trip to Uganda. And before that, even in like chapels, you kind of roll your eyes at chapels and you don't really want to be there. But then going to Africa and seeing how all these people who have nothing can worship God with everything they have. And then coming back to school and just realizing like you don't have to really care what other people think about you. Those people had almost nothing and just worship with such joy and didn't care what they were doing, what other people thought of them. So in that, I was able to really come into my own in worship and just like worship God with everything I had and not worry about the judgment that others might have.
0: So Amy, you are back here after a few years away and you've been observing uh, the teaching and learning happening specifically in my classroom, uh, which has been both a social studies and it's been IB history again. Um, I know you've sort of uh, journeyed a little bit. You were thinking about teaching and uh, thinking about the profession. So how did you arrive at that point?
1: Um, I guess like my passion for teaching kind of came from kind of dumb but when I was in like grade five I was studying for a Fort Langley quiz that we had and I remember like standing in my room pretending to teach it to a classroom and then on that quiz I got a hundred percent and was so like pumped (laughs) and thought like huh this is something I could really do and even at the time my mom she taught when she lived in England but moving to Canada she couldn't teach me. she couldn't teach right away so she was kind of going through the process of taking a couple courses that would make her eligible for teaching so that also was a factor and then even teaching at like Sunday schools and everything that was really cool and I liked the aspect of like okay here's kind of like what you have to teach how can you do that yourself and sometimes you're reading the book and sometimes you're improvising so it's something I've always wanted to do and then I always thought I wanted to teach elementary school just because t- teaching high school students seems so daunting to me. Um, and I volunteered in a grade three classroom, grade five classroom, grade eight seemed at the time a little too high for me when I ta- when I was um, volunteering there. But just in kind of the last few months in the material I've been engaging with at university and what I've been learning, I've realized I'm not gonna get to teach that. So I messaged you and wanted to see if I could volunteer and just observe and see if that's something that what I'd be really interested in and if it's something that God's kind of calling me to. So here I am. And it's been really awesome. I'm really enjoying it. And it's really making me like think and pray about it too. And yeah.
0: No, that's great. That that sort of takes us into uh, another aspect, which is what have you... I'm, I'm Fascinated. Um, so curious. Um, what have you seen in the, in the few months you've been here? You, you've come once a week, and uh, just for context, uh, Amy spends the afternoon and just kind of observes um, all the shenanigans and goings-on um, here in Room 102. Um, what have you observed uh, in your time here?
1: I um, kind of observed a lot of things. One that really stood out to me was the relational aspect of it. You really made a point in getting to know your students are standing by the door and whether they're coming or leaving and just kind of taking the time to sometimes you don't catch every one of them, but just saying like, How are you? How's your day going? Simple little things like that really stand out and that just builds like such a good relationship with students and they know that you care. Um it kind of extends to when I was at a public school, there was a Christian teacher that I was partnered up with and she did a similar thing and when I would ask students about her, they a lot of them would say she was their favorite student because she actually took the time to get to know them, and that's so important, especially, I think, in, like, this age group. Because, I don't know, you can, in high school, you kind of can lose yourself, and you feel like you don't know yourself, and you're trying to figure that out at such a young age, and knowing that someone actually cares about you is really big. Another thing is, um, like, the discussions that happen in the classroom kind of like you will put forth these big ideas and get students to talk about it and you've got some really engaged students and they'll actually like kind of take what they've been learning and it's kind of cool hearing what I've missed because I'm only here once a week but hearing that they're putting all that they've learned and kind of deciding like okay is it this is it that and it's just like you see like the clogs like turning in their head and they're really like critically thinking about what they're learning it's really cool to get to see that as opposed to if I was doing elementary that's not necessarily there but um yeah that's really cool um we've had a couple discussions about like how you test students and just whether it's like spitting up facts versus the comprehension of the facts that you've learned and if that understanding's there that was really like you're building towards like the goal of university as well, hopefully. But um it just like get it builds that foundation.
0: Yeah, I love hearing how you have sort of found your way a little bit or your your journeying through thinking you might be in one area of education uh, and finding out that actually, probably your interests or your strengths are, are in another area, and that works um, both ways. It's not just from elementary to to high school. Um, I think I told you about my own sister, who you know can't can't possibly fathom what it is I do with teenagers every day, um, but is teaching in an elementary context. So, so thank you for that. Now, uh, Amy, we were talking just before we we uh, got in front of the microphones here. About how I'm not going to ask you about what you're reading, uh, largely because you're sort of drowning mid-semester in in your own reading, so uh, your course reading. So we'll leave that alone. So I thought we would do, we would try a different question, which. Um We've we've not asked any of our guests, uh, but we've talked a lot about the name of this podcast, which is Not Many of You Should Become Teachers, of course, taken from the New Testament book of James. Um, lots of people ask about it. So I'm going to pitch this one to you. If there was a podcast about your life, what would it be titled?
1: It's funny. These kinds of questions I'm not great at answering. So I asked a couple of friends and there were simple ones of like A Walk in Amy's Life or there was one that kind of made me laugh of a British girl in a Canadian world. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> That's good. Laughter is good. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we do have some some funny moments on here as well. So, And as you probably noticed, um, there's a lot of laughter in a classroom, um, just constantly. So um, folks who are listening to this episode, it was a, just about half an hour ago. And I'm winding the lesson down, and it was the grade 12 like yearbook survey or something got released. This is the thing in our technological age, and emails get flung around. And uh, so Amy got to see an example of a lesson plan that didn't come in for a landing. It basically got hijacked. Um, but, you know, we were having a good laugh about And questions like, you know, who who is most likely in the grade group to be late to their own wedding or or something silly like that. So thanks for sharing. Amy, you you mentioned that you had done some observation in a public school setting, and of course you're an alum of our our Christian school. Could you describe for us, and and I know you have an example to share, uh, of Christian schooling, faith and learning, Christian schooling at its best, what what you would sort of hope for uh, in that?
1: Yeah. So as kind of mentioned earlier in grade nine and 10, I had one um, Christian perspectives teacher who made it a point just to say, like, no matter where you're at in your faith, whether you believe or not, like this is a safe spot just to have a conversation. And that's what this is going to be every time, as opposed to kind of earlier years. It was very structured with how we learned about the Bible, and we, for instance, had to submit some assignments about prayer and everything, and that didn't necessarily, like, prayer is such a personal thing, and I found it kind of hard to have a teacher mark it in a way that it wasn't done right according to, like, their kind of, I don't know if it was framework or, like, marking scale. But something like that. So I really appreciated in high school having a teacher that just met you where you're at and said, like, this is a safe spot. Let's have a conversation no matter where you're coming from. Um, another kind of thing that I can remember is in grad transitions, we had a guest speaker come in, and it's a room of grade 12 students. And at a Christian school, when it comes to sex, edu- sex education, they preach abstinence, which I do believe in. But then at the same time, there's the reality of you're in a high school, and there are going to be some students who are experimenting. And this guest speaker asked us, like, oh, do you know about, like, birth control, safe sex, that kind of thing? And the whole room went silent. And obviously, like, We're in grade 12, you hear, like, you learn about stuff, like, that happens. But no one had ever actually, like, in an educational way, talked to us as students. And I remember having the guidance counselor. She was newer to the school, and she looked around and was like, no one's talked to you guys about this. And we're like, no. And she's like, you're grade 12. And we're like, yeah, no one's talked to us about it. And I don't know what it would look like in a Christian context, but having those conversations, I think, is important because you have to recognize, like, not everyone is a Christian and at the same time, like, people make mistakes and you kind of have to be able to, like, you want people to be prepared for that. And even though it might go against, like, the traditional Christian belief, like, just having that education, I think, is really important.
0: Well, thanks so much for sharing the... The, th- the thread I heard in-, in both of those things is actually about something we've talked on this podcast before about developmental, uh, age-appropriate... Conversations, um, even even in spiritual formation, there is an element, of course. When you mentioned about prayer and about um, a little bit more freedom and liberty in the in the high school years, that actually there is, we would hope, of course, for a, a healthy scaffolding of building up in the in the lower grades, and then, of course, uh, your comment about your grad transitions year and silence is itself a response right if if things are not brought up or, or mentioned so uh, always desiring for sort of healthy conversation which is also an openness and even an acknowledgement um, that that the world is a complex place yeah. and uh, so thank you so much for sharing uh, today and joining us Podcast friends, this week on our installment of the Grand Paradox Book Club, which is uh, the book we've been working through. Riley's done a number of segments for us. We're actually in chapter six of the Grand Paradox: the messiness of life, the mystery of God, and the necessity of faith. Uh, for those of you who might just be joining us or uh, have not uh, listened in, I encourage you to go back the last number of episodes. Riley at the end of the episode has taken us just quick summary and some thoughts through uh, the various chapters of Ken Weitzman's book, and this book was given to our graduates at the school we teach at. It was a copy. Uh, given to each of them and so we thought wow we should we should read through this book and uh, it's turned into a little bit of a podcast uh, thing. I'm looking after chapter six which is about virtue and the meaning of happiness and uh, a little bit of paradox a little bit of wordplay around the notion of happiness in our society. Um, So I thought uh, I want to I want to quote what was quoted at the beginning. And uh, Weitzma quotes C.S. Lewis, a well-known author, and many of you will be familiar with him. And he says this, of course, in his uh, gendered uh, 20th century way, but uh, you get the point. He says this, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, and on and on, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. And Weizmann tells a little bit of his own story of um, journeying to um, School of Theology, and uh, his sense of calling and purpose, and uh, that most of his work was actually around uh, this divide between the ancients and the moderns, and particularly uh, to do with the pursuit of pleasure. Uh, we have a, a word that we've borrowed from the Greeks, uh, we call it hedonism, to be hedonistic. And hedonism is the the pursuit of pleasure uh, without any sense of sort of responsibility or any sense of um, greater common purpose, this type of thing. And so, through the chapter, um, he plays with this very common, uh, I would even call it a very Christian tension that we play with, right, between uh, this language of happiness, uh, the modern conception of happiness, versus uh, the very Christian word of joy. And finding contentment. Um, So I I thought this was interesting. I've uh, I've heard this back and forth before. This is something that's uh, pretty common in um, in sort of church circles and conversations about how we ought to sort of conduct ourselves and what we should be living for as Christians. And of course, the idea is um, that that God gives us joy, and the Christian life um, really is not just about the pursuit of our own happiness, or um, that actually. It, regardless of our circumstances we can find a, a um a certain contentment uh, and that this is biblical and that this is of God. So Whitesmith plays with that a little bit. Um, and uh, admittedly, when I started reading the chapter, I thought, oh okay, I, this is this might be familiar. Um, but he actually uh, goes into this language that I've not heard often, which is the idea of reclaiming happiness. He, he wants to actually reclaim the language. and uh, he he does a, a, a sort of a sweeping little history of how actually happiness, probably the most familiar uh, way or, or place that this is used is in the American context um, even for our uh, Canadian listeners we're probably familiar with uh, the American uh, language of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and how actually the the founders of that nation were using happiness in the in the ancient or in antiquity sense not necessarily the modern sense of just sort of hedonistic pleasure but that it's attached to virtue and that it's actually attached to uh, right living and that Right living, righteousness, um, pursuit of justice in a society uh, actually leads to our ultimate contentment and how we've actually divorced that in our in our modern sense, and that happiness now is simply um, me looking out for me and uh, no consequences, uh, what have you. Of course, this leads to things like entitlement and uh, basically people pursuing um, wrong pathways, or as we've said on this podcast, Good things, but that are not rightly ordered, and um, so there is uh, there is one reference that uh, Weissman does give to um, a a, a deep, long-standing tradition in Christian thought, and that is the Augustinian tradition, which um, actually let me find it here. He quotes uh, he quotes Augustine. Uh, He was a fourth-century African bishop. And, uh, yeah, Augustine has sort of defined a lot of our, a lot of our church thought. Uh, this is what he says here. Yeah, I found it. Uh, for those of you who are following along, this is on page 57. He says, Well, I was at, uh, he was at his school of theology, he was doing graduate work, uh, he said, I read Confessions by Augustine. I found his writing more relevant than anything I'd ever read. And one sentence in particular was a wake-up call. And he's quoting Augustine here. For you have made us for yourself... And our heart is restless till it finds its rest in you. End of the quote. Instead of running from God to attain our happiness, happiness, in that ancient sense, is found in running toward God. Happiness, instead of being a selfish pursuit, as many Christians unknowingly feel or think it to be, is actually a godly pursuit. Um, so, he's kind of flipping this up uh, and, and playing with some of the language and, and the language of... Um, of reclaiming, and of maybe um, having a fuller sense of what these what these words can mean. Now, I don't know if our uh, if our book club is is meant to be sort of a little bit of pushback, but I I'll, I'll give a little bit of pushback on this, and I think that it are it might be sort of like you know that analogy of the horses out of the out of the barn, um, the barn doors already open. Um, sometimes uh, to mix up, mix our metaphors, sometimes it is hard to put the genie back into the bottle. And words, uh, they do change meaning over time. And sometimes uh, reclaiming them in their fullness, uh, we might need uh, different vocabulary. It just might be possible. I don't. I don't know uh, if I'm just speculating here. If the idea of happiness is so sort of foregone in our own culture, um, it may or may not be. Um, but I, I would I would push back to say that this is a, a general thing we can do. Is just we can sort of. Um, Forget that there's been a history development of this word, and just go back to its its original meaning. Um, but other than that, this this was a, a powerful chapter. Um, he he has a section called the Secret of Contentment, and I think this idea of finding um, satisfaction, deep satisfaction, in the places that. Um, that God has called us to be, um, not where the places we maybe hope hope that we want to be, and uh, that's that's one of these these interplays, right, between contentment, happiness in its fullest sense, uh, and this sense of longing and 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 a hopefulness for things as they as they should be. I often tell my own students, in the context of of a social studies class, when we're talking about world history, when we're talking about current events, when we're when we're looking at the world in its um, in its complexity, and we say, you know, when we see that tension, uh, again, that paradox of the world not as it should be, and the, the, we're guided by some vision of of how it ought to be. That's that's the Christian vision, and I think what Weitzman is doing here is he's he's Zooming into the personal level because contentment, happiness, joy, whatever you want to call it, all these things he's playing with are uh, our, our dispositions of our own hearts as we, as we sort of um, live and operate in different contexts. And so it's actually about ourselves and, and about our hearts. So um, a sense of longing, but of also um, a contentment to, um, to be in the moment, to be in the places that we, we know we're called to be. And uh, so for our educators who are listening to this, uh, may this be uh, sort of an encouragement to sort of, you know, go into the classroom that you have, not the classroom that you wish you, you had. Uh, we can be hopeful and we can we're, we're strive. This is about professional development and about improvement, but uh, a sense of deep satisfaction. Uh, I'm speaking to myself here, right? Deep, um, deep satisfaction, finding contentment and happiness in the students that that God's given me this semester, given me this year, not the students that I I wish I had, or the the ideal form. And uh, so, uh, to use a word that we we often uh, hear in Christian circles, and it's in it's on the dust jacket of this uh, of this book here. Um, life can be awkward, and it can be messy. And uh, I think God is calling us into that. And out of that, uh, we find by, uh, again, to paraphrase uh, Augustine, running toward God, moving toward God is where we find our ultimate um, source of happiness, uh, our ultimate fulfillment, and our ultimate contentment.